See, I told you it was good to praise God and fitting to give him praise. Turn with your Bible, in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Psalm 147. Thank you, son. Psalm 147. Very few, if any of us, know what it's like to lose absolutely everything. Imagine in your mind a people who come under oppression by a foreign power much larger, much greater, much stronger. They're decimated. The armies invade, grab fathers, mothers, children, chain them, bind them, pull them from their culture and everything that they know, destroy all of their property, take them to another nation with different gods and different food and different culture and subjugate them for decades. Maybe it's not so hard to imagine it if we think back just a few months to watching Ukrainians fleeing nothing but the clothes on their back, jam-packed in rusted-out cars, just trying to save their lives, lives of their kids, friends. And now we see the pictures of some of those people returning home. Hospitals destroyed, schools destroyed, homes destroyed, buildings bombed, absolute ruin. One historian, six centuries before Christ, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and many of its people were taken off into exile in Babylon. Not surprisingly, over time, they became demoralized. They found it hard to believe that God was ever going to be involved with them again demoralized, broken of heart, wounded in soul, everything in their lives, in them, torn down and decimated, wondering if God was ever going to be involved with them again. It's a very real story. It happened in history. Exile of Israel to Babylon, only to return again to a land decimated, very real, happens today. Call them refugees, right? This very real story of exile also serves, I think, as a source of contemplating other events in our lives that leave us with those very same kind of feelings, other events of our own making or done to us that leave us demoralized and broken of heart and wounded in soul And whether or not it's true, it feels like everything in our lives is decimated and torn down. It feels like everything in us is just in ruins. And maybe maybe you've wondered if God is ever going to be involved with you again. Which is why we need songs. 
Songs that can pierce the darkness with the powerful light of hope. Songs have a way of using music to open us up to words that we might not otherwise be open to. Isn't it? Have you ever seen farmers with planters and there's those little metal rods that go down and they break into the soil and plant the seeds? Sometimes I think that's what, a, that's what music does. It plants a truth in us that we would normally try and push away. Songs can point us to our only hope that the God who created the world with his speech in the very beginning, who upholds it all at this moment by the word of his power, is capable of acting with creative power in our lives now, regardless of how we feel or what our circumstances are. We need songs like that. Songs like number 147 in your biblical songbook, the Psalter. So I want to read this psalm over you now. And if you want, you could close your eyes even and just, you know, Father, right now, just keep us from distraction. Help us hear these words. Hallelujah. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. So imagine, right, those exiles, this is their song. Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. Yahweh gathers the outcasts of Israel. Yahweh heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And Yahweh determines the number of the stars. Yahweh gives to all of them their names. Great is Adonai and abundant in power. Adonai's understanding is beyond measure. Yahweh lifts up the humble and Yahweh casts the wicked, the faithless, to the ground. Sing to Yahweh with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. For Yahweh covers the heavens with clouds. Yahweh prepares rain for the earth. Yahweh makes grass grow on the hills. Yahweh gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Yahweh's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is Yahweh's pleasure in the legs of a man. But Yahweh takes pleasure in those who fear him. In those who hope in his steadfast love. His steadfast love. Oh, praise Yahweh, Jerusalem, Salida, Grace Church. Praise your God. For Yahweh strengthens the bars of your gates. Yahweh blesses your children within you. Yahweh makes peace in your borders. Yahweh fills you with the finest of wheat, carbs, glorious carbs. Yahweh sends out his command to the earth. Yahweh's word runs swiftly. Yahweh gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. Yahweh hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before Yahweh's cold? And then Yahweh sends out his word and he melts them. Yahweh makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Yahweh declares his word to Jacob, his statute and rules 
to Israel. Yahweh has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know Yahweh or his rules. So, hallelujah. Yah. And all God's people said, this is the word of Yahweh. Let's pray. Father, every one of us here is either personally facing some difficulty or we know someone who is. And we are grateful that we are grateful for this psalm that teaches us that the best thing that we can do with lives full of need is come to you who are the personification of abundance and supply. So here we are. We come on behalf of Joni who had emergency surgery this Friday and she needs your healing and provision We remind you of Kendra and her surgery this past Wednesday and we ask for a speedy recovery. Father, we are brokenhearted for Jim and Marilyn as she enters hospice and appears close to seeing Jesus face to face. And we know that there are countless needs across this room and countless needs across the internet where people are viewing, many that I am not aware of, so many needs that I don't know about. But as we will see clearly from this song, you know. You know every hair on every head. You know every bird that falls to the ground. And we are human. We are mortal. We are frail. And so we ask you this morning, God, build us, gather us, heal us, bind us, lift us, we pray in Jesus' name, (laughs) because he's done that for countless people, amen. Hallelujah, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The psalmist speaks boldly to us this morning. A room full of, I don't know, a couple hundred, 250, with as many stories and as circumstances as there are souls. And this psalmist doesn't need to know all that we're in the thick of because what he's calling for is called for regardless. Praise Yah. For it is good to sing praises to him. It is pleasant. It's delightful. And it it can bring us delight in the doing of it, especially when we do it together. Because a song of praise to Yah is fitting. It's, it's right. And the psalmist is about to give us a slew of reasons for why it's right. Reasons that are all about Yahweh. 
Yahweh is absolutely central to this song because he is absolutely central to our lives. He is absolutely central to the universe in the same way that our sun is central to our gravity. If God isn't central, it all falls apart. If God isn't that kind of God holding it all together, we have no hope. And what is... Absolutely. I'm just warning you right now, this is going to be an emotional one. (laughs) What is absolutely beautiful about this psalm is that we are not lost in the absolute centrality of God. We're not flung out to the edges as if we don't matter. Rather, we are pulled in by the gravity of who he is. The psalmist points our gaze to Yahweh 41 times in 20 verses. (laughs) What do you think the point of the song is? Maybe you saw that when I read it. I replaced all of those pronouns with his name so we could hear it and see him. And the psalmist, I think, is doing that because he wants to build a kind of gravitational force that is inescapable for us. He wants us to see that in the immensity of our need, Yahweh is infinitely greater in his abundance and capability to meet every need and drown out our downcastness in the fullness of who he is in his beauty and power and strength and will do it in a way that will leave us eventually in a state of breathless joy and thanksgiving and peace. That is what this song intends to do for us. And it begins with space the final frontier. Verse 4. Yahweh determines the number of the stars. Yahweh gives to them, to all of them, their names. How timely. (laughs) I I did not plan for the White House to support my sermon this morning. But they did. How timely that just last week some of the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope were released by NASA to the public and what they freshly confirm in ways not seen before with a clarity not seen before is an expanse that apparently has no borders. Filled with they're telling us, they're telling us trillions of galaxies. Trillions. That's a T. With trillions of stars in those galaxies. Just just look at some of the wonder of interstellar nurseries that are bearing forth stars. Let's put that first image up. Nebula, constellations. Let's go to the next one. Little dust clouds that apparently are coming together as God continues to form stars. Let's go to the next one. Little pieces inside these nebula that they still, we're still not able to see closely enough and we don't understand exactly what they are. Let's go to the next one. Just the beauty and the amazing nature of what God is doing and determining. Don't miss this in this psalm. These are all present tense verbs in this psalm. These things that God, it's not that he did this, he's doing, he's determining this right now. 
the, one of the heads of the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, Jane Rigby, said, we can't take an image of a blank sky. We, we can't find... Everywhere we, look, everywhere we look, there are galaxies everywhere. And we say, uh-huh. Because Yahweh determines them. Yahweh is even now determining them. God is doing it, and he gives to all of them what? What does it say? Their names. <laughs> It's not enough that he creates them and upholds them and controls them and births them. He names them. Look at this picture of, this is the deepest, they're saying this is the deepest that any human eye has ever seen into the universe. A, a place that God has seen and named the stars. So apparently there off on the right is Bob. And we knew that Bob didn't want to be alone, so God gave him Marge. Do you understand what this means? If he knows a star in the deepest, darkest part of space that we've only just discovered, nestled in among literally trillions and trillions of galaxies that are filled with trillions and trillions of stars, if he has determined that star and kept that star going and sustained that star and named that star, do you not think he knows you? <sighs> in whatever deep or darkness is surrounding you, which cannot keep him from seeing you, he knows you. He knows your name. Don't you love when someone calls you by your name? When they know you? When they... They met you that one time and then you see them again at the Ace Hardware and they say, hey, Kristen, Dave, Paul, Jackie, Emily, Dean. It's, it's so good to see you this morning. Joe! He knows your name. Verse 2, Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. Yahweh gathers the outcasts of Israel. He, Yahweh heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Yahweh lifts up the humble and Yahweh casts the faithless to the ground. The brokenhearted. It's a compound word in Hebrew. Pull them apart. And you see that the first part of the word means to be shattered, dashed in pieces, broken or smashed. The second part of the word is, is heart. It's your inner self and your spirit. It's, it's where your determination and, and your disposition and your courage and your will and your thoughts reside. And now put them back together and see what you have. Shattered disposition, smashed, courage, a determination that is dashed into pieces, a spirit 
broken. The psalmist is completely honest about this. You can go to the next slide, Terry. He's completely honest about this. Isn't this what we've been saying this series is about? Is it's our aim to try and be completely honest with each other, and the psalmist is completely honest here. And so is Yahweh. And the question is, are we? Sometimes I think Sometimes I think we've pretended so long to be strong that we've lost track of how deeply wounded we are or there's some kind of brokenness that we've tried to ignore and we've tried to push it down so far. And what we learn, I've learned this in my own time with a biblical counselor from wounds deep in my childhood is that those things are bearing bad fruit if we don't deal with them, that brokenness, that woundedness. We, we think we have to be strong. We can't show that to anybody. Or, or honestly, maybe you've been part of a family or a place or a group of friends or God forbid a church that doesn't allow it, right? Because some churches say like, Christians have God. So Christians are strong. Christians don't have problems. They don't have trouble because God is the victory. Like we got this, right? Like we're taking over the world. We don't hurt. Which is just a bunch of bunk. And that's not this church. Uh Uh-uh. Grace isn't going to be that kind of place. This is a place where we want to be a place of safety. Where people can just be who they are in all their brokenness and pain and, and weakness. We want you to know that here you don't have anything to fear. Or at least that's what we're aiming for. I, I, can't, I can't guarantee that we're that yet. We're, I mean, we're also all messed up too. So this is, it's just very messy, isn't it? But we want to be that kind of place because I think we've all known brokenness. I think we've all felt woundedness and a shattered spirit. A shattered, like a broken, like to break the will. Like I, I think of like breaking a horse, right? You got to break its spirit. You got to break it. And we've been broken sometimes by the circumstances in our lives. Or we know someone who has, right? Like we know someone who has. Maybe a child. Maybe one of your child, children. When our son, Colton, was eight, he was diagnosed with leg Perthes disease. And it launched over a decade of care and surgeries that fundamentally altered his life and ours. The sawing of his femur into two pieces, the placing of a titanium plates on that leg, a body cast for weeks, crutches for months, in and out of hospitals, trial and suffering and pain that was both physical and mental and spiritual and emotional. A childhood that was not the childhood that we had dreamed for our boy. 
a hip replacement at 19 years old. It's a long story filled with many days that broke his spirit at many times and broke our hearts at many times. Have you ever felt fractured inside? I think of just some of the people in this beloved church family, parents with kids who have incredible needs, whose lives are filled with doctor appointments and therapy visits and teachers with specialties and and their lives are lovingly altered to raise them. And how many times have their spirits felt shattered and their hearts broken? Or the husband loving a wife facing hospice or the wife facing a husband's diagnosis of dementia. I mean, get in the shoes of that for a second. Or the dear sister in our family, our church family who wakes up every morning and yet again the symptoms of Lyme disease rob her of normalcy and strength and many times of even being here with her family. These things break us. They shatter us. A lot of times, they just feel like too much to bear, right? Like, have you ever said that? Like, I, God, I can't do this anymore. It's like we're this bowl and these circumstances grab hold of us and they just threaten to cast us down and they just break us. We lie there in pieces. And this psalm says that Yahweh The God who determines and makes and names stars comes to us and he begins to pick up the pieces of our lives. And it says that he heals the broken of heart and he heals the shattered and soul and he gets all the pieces and he brings all of them together and he begins to bind us back together and to heal us Kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken bowls. They take shattered pieces and they put them back together with dust that is formed from gold or platinum or silver because they believe that broken objects are worth retrieving. And that once put back together, they have a kind of beauty that a normal bowl doesn't have. 
that there's something about the cracks and the breaks in the history of the bowl that makes it more beautiful, actually, than it was before in the healing and the mending and the repairing of the bowl. See, friend, your brokenness is part of your story. A story that God is writing, which means that he intimately knows you and he knows your name. And because Adonai is great and his authority is beyond all reckoning, verse 6, he has everything at his disposal to heal your wounds, to bind you up, to make you whole. He doesn't cast you aside because, oh, look, at he's broken now. She's broken now. She's not strong. She's not worth anything in my kingdom. She can't do what she needs, what I need her to do anymore. He's not able. Instead, he looks and says, you're more able now than you ever were. You're more beautiful now than you ever were. You're my child. The breaks don't make you less they make you more. I remember driving in the car with my son, Colton, years ago, and I was, this is when we lived in Florida, and we were driving into the development where we lived at the time, and he was sitting next to me, and, and I was really struggling to help some people who were struggling in our congregation at the time, and, and so I turned and I looked to him, and because the thought struck me, my son has struggled. This is in the be- beginning stages, really, of his bout with Lake Perthes disease. And, and I asked him, Colton, if you could go back and you could change that you have Perthes, would you go back and would you change it? And without a hesitation, he looked at me and he said, Dad, I wouldn't. Without Perthes, Dad, I wouldn't understand God the way that I understand him. I wouldn't know that he loves me the way that I know that he loves me now. I wouldn't have experienced all of these people in our lives who have been praying for me and loving me and caring for me. I wouldn't have any of that. It's so no, I wouldn't go back and have him take away Perthes. <laughs> was he 11 or something? <laughs> How are you teaching me, you little turd? <laughs> and listen, listen now, because this is what, oh man, this is so dangerous with illustrations and stories like this as Christians. We think that there's like that moment of victory and like everything's gonna be great from there on out. And that was not my son's story. After that conversation, in that moment, there were many times when things got worse in his life because of Perthes. Many times where Colton asked, why God? There were more times of broken spirit and broken hearts Times where his mother and I felt that keenly with him. Times when I was angry and I was wondering why God was doing this to my son. 
And I would come back again and again, and I would feel like no one understood. Right? Isn't that the hard thing, the sucky thing about pain? Is that we just want someone to understand. Haven't you heard that? You just don't understand. I'm trying. And I think there were times when Colton definitely felt that no one could comprehend what he was going through. But the beauty and the power of this song is that the psalmist unapologetically declares is that there is always someone who understands. Yahweh's understanding is beyond measure. And there is something just brilliant here that the psalmist has done to try and get us to comprehend the incomprehensible. Let me show it to you in verses 4 and 5. I'm going to give you a more wooden translation there. Yahweh calculates the reckoning of the stars and of his understanding, there is no reckoning. Okay, he does that on purpose with two Hebrew words because he wants us to see something. So do you remember those pictures of the multiple galaxies and trillions upon trillions of stars? Well, Yahweh can reckon those. Yahweh can count those. Yahweh can get his arms around those. Because he created them and he's bigger than them and he's outside of them. Do you see him for who he is? <laughs> So the psalmist wants you to see. And now, with that vision of that kind of God who determines those stars and galaxies and gets his arms around them and can reckon them, the psalmist says that his understanding, you see all of that, and, and we can't reckon it, but he can, his understanding is beyond that. Beyond reckoning. Says that if you would try to reckon his understanding of anything, least of all us, well, okay, good luck with that. Because his understanding is beyond measure. Which means, man, this is so good. It means that there is absolutely no situation and no brokenheartedness and no wounding and no devastation. And there's no hurt and there's no betrayal. And there's no event that has put you into the dust that he does not intimately understand. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but yet he is without sin. He has felt everything that we have felt. And there is no response that you could have. No emotion, no feeling, no action that he doesn't understand. His comprehension of all of that, his sympathetic awareness of your pain and your brokenness and your wounds is beyond measure. Beyond measure. How much wisdom does God have for you beyond measure? How much ability? You know, when someone says, I get you. You're like, I don't think you do. He does. How much does he get you? Beyond measure. How much advice does he have for you? Beyond measure. How much knowledge of what you should do? Beyond measure. His capacity to help us and advise us and guides us. 
knows no limits. It has no bounds. Isn't this, this, this is just sacred. I just feel like Moses. Like, Take off your shoes, people. You are standing on holy ground. He, he just knows no bounds. Derek Kinder. Yahweh is more than equal to the problems of his people. <laughs> he is more than equal to the problems of his people. Dane Ortland. To whom does God draw near? The brokenhearted. To whom is Yahweh most strongly and irresistibly pulled? See, we think, we think the opposite. We think God likes really strong people because that's what our culture likes. Our culture likes strong people who get things done and seem invincible and are like... They wear the superhero clothes and have capes flowing behind their necks. They're the Avengers. Thor. With his hammer. To whom is Yahweh most strongly and irresistibly pulled? Well, the psalm tells us. Outcasts. (laughs) Losers. Let's just all... You know what that is? That's like the bat signal for God. Up in the sky. Just do this. Here he comes. He is pulled, this is Dane Ortland, to those rejected by the world, those of apparent insignificance by the world's standards. This is God's way. The world runs after strength and slickness and outward appearances and impressiveness. But God runs to the brokenhearted. Wow. Hallelujah. Where would I be if God didn't run to brokenhearted people? If he didn't run to those of us broken at one time or another in spirit and in heart, where would any of us be? Do Do you know this? That he's most strongly and irresistibly pulled to the outcast, the humbled, the weak, and the needy. If you take nothing else from this morning, if there is nothing else that you remember as you walk out of these doors this morning, I want you to remember this, to write it down. It's a promise. Yahweh is the God of the needy. <laughs> Yahweh is the God of the needy. Isn't that remarkable? <laughs> I mean, that should, doesn't that floor you? That wasn't rhetorical. This is like audience participation. If it floors you, you can say, yeah, pastor, that floors me. (laughs) It's like the power of magnets. The bigger the magnet, the bigger the ability to attract. So the bigger my need, the more he is drawn to me. Are you kidding me? So get it out there. This is his heart. This is who he is. 
And he loves when we come to him with nothing but our need because it brings him glory. It reflects well on him and makes him look good. Verse 7, sing to Yahweh with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Yahweh, I want you to see, watch the flow here. Watch the dominoes. Yahweh covers the heavens with clouds and those clouds prepare rain for the earth and that rain makes the grass grow on the hills. Ranchers are happy because it gives to beasts their food and young ravens that cry. That's what God's doing every single day in our valley. So that his delight is not in the strength of the horse. His pleasure is not in the legs of a man. But Yahweh takes pleasure in those one who fear him and to hope in his steadfast love. I have been tempted at least, you know, a lot of times we'll say like, you know, it's like a million times. Like it's at least been, like for real, at least a million times to feel badly that I'm once again going to God and asking for his help. Why? (laughs) Why do I do that? It's as if I think that there is somehow a limit on his supply in my life for my needs. That somehow it's going to run out. Because, and maybe that's because that's the way that we treat each other. I don't know. In our imperfections, that, that there are limits to kind of our love and to our abilities. And, but that's not the way it is with God. There is no end to his grace and strength and assistance and power to initiate a chain of events that will lead to my provision and care. Imagine for me, if you will, for a second, a king who had great wealth and abundant power. Imagine he had told his subjects to come to him for whatever they needed and that his generosity was known throughout the kingdom. And now imagine someone needs a million dollars, a million dollars which for the king is like a drop in the bucket. And imagine the person with the million-dollar need goes to the king and asks for a thousand. Isn't that actually a slight to the king? Because it makes it look like he isn't capable or or willing even to meet the need of the million-dollar debt. But... If that same subject comes and asks for the full amount, it brings the king great joy to supply it and it increases his glory because it confirms his ability. So coming to God with our need actually makes both God and us look good. It's one of those win-win situations. It confirms who he is and all he is because he is more than equal to all of our problems and he is our only hope for all our need. And he loves, are are you seeing it, what he says in the psalm? He takes pleasure when we trust him. He delights in it. Strong horses, Big quads, right? It was, a, it was a symbol in the time for mighty armies, 
massive armies with cavalries of horses that could trample down their enemies, filled with soldiers, rows and rows of powerful soldiers. And Yahweh looks at that and goes, yeah, whatever. Not impressed. Because he's Yahweh. And what he says is I take pleasure in those who fear me. I take pleasure in those who hope in my love for them. His steadfast love. His committed, forever, never-ending, never-failing love. Yahweh is happy with you when you are trusting in someone other than you. (laughs) Did you get that? He is happy with you when he is trusting, when you are trusting in someone other than you. That is so (laughs) anti-American. Someone, more specifically, who loves you. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, there's one more thing. Squeak-a-deek. <laughs> that needy people need like us. Just one more thing. And the psalmist is done. We need a powerful Life-altering, soul-strengthening, broken heart-healing, wound-bandaging, peace-creating, darkness-shattering, heart-satisfying word. And as we read, let me remind you again of the present tenseness of this activity of God. Verse 12, praise Yahweh, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for Yahweh strengthens the bars of your gates. Yahweh blesses your children within you. Yahweh makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest of wheat. Yahweh sends out his command, words, to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And then he tells us what that looks like. Yahweh, here's his word, his word, he gives snow like wool and scatters frost like ashes and hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs who can stand before his cold. He sends out his word and he melts them. So he brings winter and then he brings summer. His winds blow and the waters flow. Yahweh declares his word to Jacob. What's that word, psalmist? It's his statutes and his rules. Yahweh has not dealt us with any other nation. They do not know Yahweh's rules. So, I'm a preacher. My stock and trade is words. My wife often calls me the word guy, which I think is just her ploy to have me fill out all the anniversary and birthday cards that are given out in our home. But I do believe in the power of words to change people's lives because Words can change people's attitudes about themselves and the story that they are living in. Words can show someone a different path that they should take, affirm them for who they are, encourage them when they are down, lift them out of darkness. But the best words that any of us ever have are Yahweh's words because the power of his words is far greater than my words. Do do you see in verses 15 to 18 what his words do? But just as important as his creative word is Yahweh's saving and delivering word. At the time that this song was written, God declared a redeeming word to his people through statutes and rules and laws. There were words that were a display of his character. They were words that created a family, a nation of people. 
And he hadn't done that for any other people, verse 20. In other words, God wants a very particular people. He wants a family. So a couple thousand years ago, in keeping with Yahweh's word of promise, the word that was there in the beginning of all of his other created words, the word that was with God, the word that was God, the word through whom all things were made, the word apart from whom nothing could be made, the word that was life, and this life was the light of men shining in the darkness, that word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing, steadfast love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness comes through Jesus Christ. Worship team, would you come up? And Jesus... John tells us in John 1.18, is near to the Father's heart and he reveals God to us. So just like his Father, who does Jesus draw near to? The brokenhearted. To whom is Jesus most strongly and irresistibly pulled? Read the Gospels. Do you see it? The outcasts, the losers, Those rejected by the world. Those of apparent insignificance by the world's standards. That is Jesus' way. The world runs after strength and slickness and outward appearances and impressiveness, but Jesus runs to the broken hearted. Jesus speaks these words. Come, just as you are, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's take one step closer to Jesus, dear friends, because he's here healing Every heart, he's here turning lives around. He's here mending every heart. So what do we do? We worship him. (laughs) Hallelujah, Yeshua. Stand and sing.